before we go into our silent prayer, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to teach this morning. I don't usually do that, but I'm going to teach about God giving us a warning and a promise. Every one of us needs to hear the Lord speak to us this morning because all of us struggle every single day with thinking like everyone else thinks. You can call it human viewpoint. It's normal. It's natural. And yet, God expects much more from us. And we have to learn how to think like God thinks. And that's where the warning and the promise comes in. For we all are tainted. It's as if we have some kind of static, some kind of toxicity, something in our soul that keeps us from living the abundant life that God would have us live because we're thinking like everyone else thinks. We have some young people in here, and this is for the young people as well. If you're old enough to be in here, then you're old enough for God to hold you responsible for your volition and the choices that you make. Whether you came to church this morning voluntarily or not, has a lot to do with what this message is about. Your parents probably didn't give you that option. It's Sunday. It's time to go to church. Bravo for your parents. And sometimes the young people will say, well, I have something else. I have schoolwork. Let me tell you right now, anybody that puts schoolwork ahead of the Word of God has made a mistake. I don't care if they can't get their homework done or there's a test tomorrow. What they will learn by coming to either Bible class or church is infinitely more important than their homework. So even you young people have to struggle with the same thing, and that is, am I going to think like God wants me to think or am I going to think like everyone else? So during this moment of silent prayer, I want you to think about preparing yourself mentally. It may be you're accustomed to come here and think, well, this is what people do. They go to church on Sunday. I'll be still. Some people are still because they have to be still. But we're not here just as a custom. We are here be able to decide in our life about a matter that is as serious as life or death because that's what it's all about. And so during this time of silent prayer, of course you have the option to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which is going to ensure the filling of the Holy Spirit. God is going to speak to us through His Word and we need to listen. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your mighty word. We thank you for loving us, informing us, so that we can make sense out of this brief time that we have on this planet. Jesus said it so rightly when he said, Without me, you can know nothing. So we pray that you will train us, that you will instruct us, that you will show us how to live, how to think, so that we can live that abundant life that you have for those who do that. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and open to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. we always have to get our text in context. And the way we do that is by seeing what preceded chapter 4. We're not going to go back in there and study that because we've essentially already done that. But if you'll note, the first word in chapter 4 of Hebrews is therefore. And what do you do when you when you see a therefore, you wonder why, what it's there for. That's what we're supposed to do. You can look up here if you'd like. Let me find my thing here. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up here on the board, but I really... Hope that you will bring your Bible. It's like going to school without your textbook. Therefore, what we see in chapter 3 of Hebrews is warning after warning. And what he's essentially doing is comparing the people, the Israelites that refused to cross the river and go into Canaan and consequently, they had to go back into the desert and they died. Their bodies were strewn all over the desert because they had hardened their heart to, work to God's message. And any of us can do that. And we're going to have a warning about not hardening our heart. So with that in mind, that example, he's going to start giving us some instructions. If you look in verse 3, verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me in the day of trial in the wilderness. This is a demonstration of people who were thinking human viewpoint. God had promised them the land of Canaan. It was everything that they hoped it would be, but there were giants in the land. And rather than trusting God, they hit the panic button. 
think of these people, what all they saw. These were the people who left Egypt and saw the ten plagues and saw God's mighty hand work in order to release them from bondage to begin with. They saw all of that. And then, of course, as soon as they went out, what happened? They had to cross the Red Sea. They had a water problem, and it wasn't the first. And so they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And then God started leading them around through the wilderness, and they had another water problem. One water problem was that they, uh, had, they found this, this uh, water uh, place there, the lake, and it was uh, bitter water. And so they became bitter because they didn't have the right kind of water. Later on, they didn't have enough water. And they would complain to God, did you bring us out here just to kill us with thirst? My point is, time after time after time, they saw the faithfulness of God. And by the way, God knew what He was doing. When He led them to these places where there was no water, it was purposely so that they would learn to trust Him. And even though they complained and they didn't trust Him, He still gave them water anyway, which shows them the extent of His grace. So after time was right, they were going to go into the land of Canaan. Canaan, Canaan is a, a physical location. It's still there. But they didn't, go, they didn't get what God had desired them to have because they didn't believe Him. They didn't believe Him enough to cross the river and watch Him do great things on their behalf and then live in that wonderful land. Instead, they perished in the wilderness. Now you might be thinking, what are we doing in Hebrews 4? Weren't we in Joshua? Yeah, we were in Joshua 11, chapter 11, verse 23, where it talks about uh, Joshua had given them uh, rest from their enemies. But it was a temporary rest, and it wasn't from all of their enemies. And when you go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, and hopefully we'll get there today, Joshua is mentioned again with regards to a rest. That's how we got to Hebrews. And now we're talking about something that's so fundamental, so essential, that we're going at it verse by verse. So when we get to chapter 4, verse 1, which is where we're going to start this morning, when it says, therefore, we already have a sense of what he's talking about. We have a warning with regards to a people who didn't heed God's directions. Look at verse 12 in chapter 3. Take care, brethren. See, he's talking to believers. Lest there should be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Underline, falling away there. We're talking about believers. Hopefully you're advanced enough spiritually to understand that he's not talking about falling away and losing your salvation, you're going to hell. Nothing that we're reading has anything to do with that. And there's too many churches that the believers have already accepted the gospel and they go every Sunday and they get another dose of the gospel. And they try to make everything in the New Testament salvific. That means they think everything relates to heaven or hell. Most of it does not. Even what we're studying today, none of it has to do with eternal salvation. This is where people miss the mark. Believers, they're not being taught 
that most of the New Testament is a warning. If you want to waste your time, if you don't want to be obedient, if you don't want to grow in grace and knowledge, if you want to think like everyone else thinks, act like everyone else acts, God allows you to do it. But if you do that, your fate will be the same as those who re refuse to cross the river and go into the wonderful land that God had given them because they were afraid and because they did not believe. That's what's at stake. Those that don't understand what God has for us, so much greater than what m the multitudes of believers even know about. Remember, I think it was two Sundays ago, I gave you six types of grace, and you wrote it down. And I said, every, every believer, once you become a child of God, get, gets what we call logistical grace. That means that God is going to provide everything necessary for you to fulfill His plan, to reach spiritual maturity. Uh, in, the, in the military, uh, logistics means bullets and beans, essentially. Everything they need to, to fulfill the objective. Well, we have an objective. And most believers are missing the objective because they're not recognizing that God is warning us. You want to be a mediocre believer? You, if the only time you want to think about me is at church, if the only time you're interested in getting the Word is at church, and if something else is more interesting to you, well, church has, got to, has to wait. If you have that kind of mentality, then you are one of the losers that will not cross the river into the land of Canaan, which we call super grace. Because that's the next kind of grace, which most believers don't even know about. The abundant life. Super grace is only for those who make the right choices. Only those who heed the warning and seek the promise. And you can fall away from that. We're going to see a very similar verse in uh, chapter 4. Well, let's get into chapter 4 because I'm so tempted just to get back in 3 again. But we'll start with chapter 4 this morning where it says, Therefore, understanding all of this, this is a very unusual verse. It says, Therefore, therefore let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. Now, what makes this unusual, first of all, is that it says, let us fear. <laughs> if, if you know anything about the Bible, that should take you back. Because the Bible is constantly telling us what? Yeah, don't fear. Isaiah 41.10, what? Fear not. We're always saying, don't be afraid. But this says to fear. Now, that should get your attention right away. But if, you, if you're reading this in Greek, you would even have more cause for pause. Because this, this, the Greek word for fear here is phobia. That's the root word. And it's in, <coughs> it's the, 
passive subjunctive. Now, what that means is to be afraid in, a, in, in a, any particular given point of time. The subjunctive mood means it's only a potential that you're going to fear. Now, remember, this is so much different than what we usually hear, that fear not. This is saying, God is telling you, I want you to fear something. And whether you fear it or not depends upon you. And it's in the passive voice, and that's strange also. If I told you, do not fear, that would be in the active voice. In other words, it would be a command, don't you get into this action of fear. It would be in the active voice. But this isn't in the active voice. It's in the passive voice. So we have a command that tells us to do something that is unusual, to say the least. And it's going to depend upon us whether we are going to heed this instruction or not. It's in the subjunctive mood. And the passive voice. Whether you receive this fear, you could even call it respect if you want to. It's something that you will receive but listen to this. The only way that you're going to receive it is if you don't harden your heart. The only way you're going to have this type of fear is if you hear His voice. And He's talking to us this morning through His Word. So automatically, we have... And by the way, I'm going to tell you something now. Don't... I'm going to tell you a word you probably never heard of and you don't, you don't know what it means. I'll explain what it means, but it's important for us as we get further down in this chapter to put this together. Now, you can write this down if you want to or just listen to it. Let us fear is called a horatory subjunctive. And I know, I saw the mouths drop. Horatory subjunctive. What is that? Horatory means it's an exhortation. He is exhorting. It has the force of a command, but it's not a command. It's, it's, it's really like an emotional plea. And it is an exhortation. That's why it says, let us do this. And a subjunctive, again, in that mood in the Greek, it means, I know that you might not, but you have the the opportunity to do it. There are four horatory conjunctions in chapter 4, and we won't get to all of them today. And I'm not going to linger any more than just saying that. But if you listen, if you concentrate, even though you might not have heard this before, you might not fully understand what it means or how to spell it, H-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y, horatory, it means to exhort, those four horatory conjunctions gives the whole meaning of chapter 4, and we have the first one in the first verse here. So with all this in mind, you believers, I'm exhorting you, let us fear. Receive this fear. Hear the word. Don't harden your heart. And what is the fear about? It says, while a promise remains. A promise. Now, this isn't talking about any particular promise in the Bible. And it's talking about a promise remaining. Why would we think that it wouldn't remain? The promise is the promise that God will give you that abundant life 
the opportunity for you as a believer in Jesus Christ and the church age to reach that point of spiritual maturity where you are in now above the normal mediocre grace, which is logistical. Now you're up in the rare air of super grace. That's the promise. And it's still available. The Israelites that refused to cross the river, they didn't trust God. They didn't get there. We're going to see 400 some odd years later, David is going to say that it still remained in David's time. God has not taken this promise off the table. And here in chapter 4, it's going to say, guess what? It still remains today. Now, that was nearly 2,000 years ago, but it's just as available today as when it was written. So what we have available to us is something that these other people didn't get, but because they failed doesn't mean that it's still not available to us. Let's look at it. Therefore, let us, believers, fear, lest while a promise remains, and we're going to see it is, does still remain, that promise of that superabundant life of entering His rest. See, if the, if the Israelites would have gone into Canaan, what would have happened? Well, we know from the book of Joshua, don't we? We went through 11 chapters. We know what would have happened. First of all, they would have run across on dry ground. Man, they weren't expecting that. And when they went across, what did they do? They see this big wall city, Jericho. Oh, man. They had no battering rams. They had no towers to crawl up. They had no cut catapults. What, what were they to do? They were to do what we are to do every time we see one of these satanic forces. Always. We're simply to trust the Lord. We are simply to believe that He is going to take care of these issues for us. And what did, they, what did, they, did He say to do? Just think if you were in that group. Okay, Joshua, we're ready for the battle plans. What's the battle plans? Well, we're going to get some horns... And, and we're going to uh, circle the city every day and we're going to blow the horns at them. Joshua, these are the battle plans? Yeah, that's the battle plan. What idiot thought that up? Joshua, God. Oh, well, excuse me. I didn't mean to besmirch that. Is that what we're supposed to do? And what did they do? They, they oh, oh, followed that. See? And so they did it seven times. And the, they didn't expect the walls to fall down on the seventh day, did they? When they blew the trumpets and the people shouted and the walls fell. See, God will give us what we don't expect if we will simply trust Him. That's the rest. That's the rest. Now listen to this. Don't get confused and think the rest means that if you get this super abundant level, that super grace status that God is going to give you that all your problems are going to go away. That's not going to happen. We live in the devil's world. And you're still going to have problems. But here's the thing. The rest isn't a physical rest. It is a mental rest. You have rest in your soul. All that static. You know, when you're, when you're under... The old sin nature's influence. 
and you have these mental attitude sins dominating your soul. It's, it's kind of like some of us are old enough to remember this when we had black and white TVs and you had the rabbit ears and there was snow and, and static all in there. That's what your soul is like when you're not trusting God and you're, you're re relying on your own devices. It's just noise. It's static in there. And then that static turns into anger and bitterness, confusion, all the things that you don't want. It's there. Here's the offer that God is giving us. You want to get rid of that? You want to have a clear HD color picture? Trust me. Stop thinking the way you normally do and just trust me and you will have rest up here. That's what we all want. No one, and not even God, is going to tell you that when you trust God, then you've got smooth sailing. In fact, the seas might get rougher. But you can have a grin on your face. You can enjoy the ride. Isn't that what you want? That's what this is about. The rest. The rest is up here. Boy, I'm not going to get to verse 8 at this pace. Therefore, let us rest, lest while a promise remains, and that promise of that superabundant life, that super grace that is offered to believers, remains of entering that rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. How does a person come short of getting this? This is a promise of rest. This is a promise of the abundant life. Super, how do you get? How you come short of it? If you can't blame this on God if you come short of it. Whose fault was it when God said, I made this land in eternity past for you. It is perfect. It is abundant. Just trust me. Cross that river and watch the great things that I'm going to do. And they said, no, we're afraid. And we want to think like everybody else thinks. That would be suicide going across there. These people are like giants. We're grasshoppers in their sight. Human viewpoint. He says, okay. Now don't miss this. This is the main thing. Turn around and go back into the desert. Not one of you are going to enter that rest. Except two, Caleb and Joshua. They, they trusted God. They said, let's get them. Let's get in there. God said it's ours. He's going to give it to us. Let's go. Here's the point I'm trying to make. There's no neutral ground here. They were either going in that land of Canaan and taking that ground because of God's grace and what he was going to do, or the alternative was to wither away and die a horrible death in the desert. And it's the same way for us right now, today, only in the spiritual realm. If you're sitting there thinking, hmm, how much longer we have? Well, I feel for you. Because what's in store for you is what was in store for those Israelites who didn't trust God. You fall away. You don't reach it. See, when it says here, 
lest any of you should come short of it. You come short of that rest by your own decision. Every time you start thinking like everyone else thinks, every time you decide that something is more important than your relationship with God, every time that something interferes with you getting God's Word, and I'm not talking about just on Sunday or Tuesdays or Thursdays. I'm talking about every single day. Your soul needs this spiritual nourishment because if you don't get it, your soul, your mind, your choices are going to go right back to what I call stinking thinking, human viewpoint, so fast, it'll happen so fast you won't even know it. And then you're going to be no longer trusting God and thinking like God wants us to think. We're mediocre and we're back down in the doldrums there. Verse 2. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also. Who is the they? That's the ones that didn't heed the warning, didn't want to take the high ground and get into that abundant life. They were afraid. They didn't trust God. They heard good news. We heard good news. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. It's not hard. This isn't rocket science. All you have to do is when you hear, I'm giving you these words, I'm reading right out of God's words, when you hear them, are you going to heed them? Does it matter to you? Is it important to you? If it's not, then you better get a compass because you're headed for the wilderness. It didn't profit them. By the way, the good news here, some people say, oh, that's talking about the gospel. That's not the gospel. Now, the gospel is good news, but the good news here is that this abundant life that God had for those Israelites way back then, that promised land that was so wonderful, it's still available today. That's the good news. They didn't ruin it. It's still offered to us. But you can come short of it just like they do. That's why these are in the subjunctive mood, these hortatory subjunctive. Have you ever said hortatory subjunctive? Why don't you try it? It's kind of fun. Let, let's try it one time. Hortatory subjunctive. If you really want to have fun, when you leave church today and you see some friends, you see somebody says. Well, did you go to church today? Yeah, I sure did. What did you learn? Oh, I learned about the hortatory subjunctive. And watch their face. Huh? Then you're going to be in a fix because then you've got to explain <laughs> Oh, well. Life is fun, isn't it? The good news here isn't just about the good news of the gospel. We've already accepted that. I don't know everybody here, but I assume you're a believer. If you're not a believer, then you're spiritually dead and you're, you might be trying to connect the dots, but you're spiritually dead. You can't do it. It might sound nice and you're just going to go back into your own little world and try to be moral and impress God and think, Okay, God, look how moral I am. I guess I get to go to heaven, huh? Woo! That's a... Verse 3. For we who have believed, underline that believe, Enter his rest. See, that's how you enter the rest.
Just as he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He, he says that twice because it's so important. In other words, this is what's behind that phrase there. People want to live the abundant life. But they don't want to do it God's way. If I ask you, what do people do? What do they seek most of all in order to live the abundant life? I probably would get nearly a universal answer. Money, right? See? That's how they think that they're going to get it. And those who think that they're going to live the abundant life, what does this say? They will not, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that they're going to get the kind of rest and that super grace that I want to give them if they try to do it any other way than the way I say, and the way I say is through believing what I say. And if they don't believe that, then they still want to live the abundant life, right? And how are they going to do it? You know what that is, don't you? Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. I want you to underline works there. Oh, I went off screen here, didn't I? Okay. See, he says, his works. What are his works all about? Now, and why does it say from the foundation of the world? Isn't this strange? If you were reading through the Bible and your goal was read through the Bible in one year and you got here and you just went right past it, what would you get from it if you don't know what the works are? What do you think the works are? Let's look at it again. He says, you're not going to enter my rest if you don't do it my way. You're going to be just like everybody else. You're going to be out there scraping and clawing for money. You're going to think just like everybody else thinks. You're going to leave me out of the equation. And there's not a way that I'm going to let you get into my rest that, that up here that is the confidence and security and courage and everything that people want. You're not going to get it. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So, what are the works? The works, this is so fantastic, and I don't want to speed by this, but I'm tempted to, but I won't. Um, the works are what some of us can identify with. We call it escrow blessings. Write that down. Escrow blessings. What are escrow blessings? Well, if you ever bought a house, you know what escrow means. It means you take funds, or they, the bank takes funds, and they put it over here, and some officer is watching over this, until certain things are, certain uh, qualifications are met. And it's put in escrow. And whenever the qualifications are met, everything is done over here that needs to be done, then they release those escrow funds into your account or wherever they need to go. The escrow blessings, another thing, another way you could say that is super grace blessings. In other words, in eternity past, before God had created the earth or anything, He had you in mind. That comes from His omniscience. He knows everything. 
And let's take, uh, I'm, I hope nobody's here called Charlie Brown. I'm going to take Charlie Brown as an example. I could use John Smith, but that's my name. My middle name is John. Uh, so you have Charlie Brown, and in, in eternity past, God was already thinking about Charlie Brown. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take everything that will make Charlie Brown so contented and happy beyond his wildest dreams, and I'm going to put them in, I'm going to put them in account here. This is before the earth was even made. So that when Charlie Brown finally grows up to the point to where he quits seeking money for happiness, he quits, quits listening to all his idiotic friends and their ideas about how to live, and he starts listening to me through my word, and he starts putting the pieces together, and he's going to seek. He's ready to get that rest because he's pursuing me and not what he wants then I'm going to start releasing these super grace blessings to him. That's the works that it's talking about there. You see that? That's also given in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, by the way. That, and how many believers know this, huh? How many believers know that God just doesn't want us to muddle through life and, yeah, I, I memorize the verse and I go to church on Sunday. Well, what about the rest that God wants you to get into? Do you know about that? Do you know about the superabundant life? Do you know about super grace? How can that be a motivation? How can they reach that if they don't even know what it is? And how can they know if the preachers, the pastors aren't teaching it? So the works, that's what the works are. Super grace blessings. Actually, what this is is blessings that go far beyond anything that you can ask or think. And God has customized them for you. Let me tell you, I don't want your super grace package. It might have ballet in it. It might have rap music for all I know. I can't imagine somebody wanting a super grace blessing and it be rap music because to me that's a curse. But anyway, it's specifically designed for each one of us. In other words, there is a package up in the heavenlies somewhere with your name on it. And it's labeled super grace blessing. And God is just waiting for you to start trusting Him, learning that this is available, and wanting you to seek after that. And trust Him for it. That's what the works are. Verse 4. For He has said somewhere... Let's see, I'm on verse 4 here. Let me go to verse 4 here. For He has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day. Uh, you can put in your margin there where it says somewhere. That's Genesis 2.2 is where you find the quote here. Genesis 2.2. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. 
Why did God rest? Was God tired? I mean, after all, He created the earth. He did all these things. And it says He rested. Now, when I read that as a child, I thought, boy, I'd rest too. <laughs> he did a lot in that week, didn't He? Well, actually, six days. This is not talking about God resting because He was tired. He rested because He had done everything that was necessary. It was finished. It was complete. Nothing else was needed for man. He did it all, and he, then He rested. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Why is it here? Why do we have it at this particular point? Because if God hasn't finished everything necessary for us to live the abundant life, then why should we trust Him for it? If He's still got something left to finish in my package... Why should I trust him for it? Because I can guarantee you, Murphy's Law says, the very thing that I will need is the thing he's still working on. But we don't have to worry about that. What does it say? His, in Genesis 2.2, it says he rested on the seventh day from all his works. And look at verse 5. He says this again. This has so much force you can't believe it. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. No one has that peace that passes all understanding, that mo momentum that comes from trusting God and seeing Him work on your behalf. No one gets that except through resting in their soul. We call it faith rest. We take the promises of God and, and link our faith to it, and then we can relax. We have rest up here. But it's not just a promise or certain promises. I want you to look, get back and look at the forest a little bit further off away, and you can see the whole picture. What God wants us to have, the rest that He wants to have, is quit struggling with your circumstances. There are people here who are just in their soul. If you could see their soul, you would go, oh, that's what you would do. Oh, you can't see it. They're sitting in church and everything but a halo. Maybe you're one of them. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about not entering into his rest. What you have to do. I'm telling you a fix that is worth, well, it's priceless. Turn down the noise in your soul. Quit worrying. Quit trying to manipulate and connive. And start resting in your soul. Have you ever had something bother you and you just, seem, you just can't seem to turn it out? It, it's like... A, a radio blasting rap music. It's just going on in your, no, in your soul. And you don't want it to be there. You want to have rest there. And people try everything in the world to turn that down. And they don't know how. You don't only have to turn it down, you can turn it off. If in your soul you will just quit trying to handle the problem yourself and trust that the Lord can handle it for you. 
but not only in, a, in, in an individual sense, in a larger sense, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you, God has a place where you can turn that noise off. I'd like to say you can do it permanently. I guess, well, I would say, like to say it's possible, but I don't think it's possible. We can turn it down whenever we're thinking divine viewpoint. Let me put it that way. Whenever you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you're thinking about God and how He is going to take care of this issue, the noise just goes, just diminishes to nothing. I did this last night. That's right. I'm not going to tell you details now. Your business, and you should have that same, same. Uh, your your sinful business is God's business. You don't go blather it to your neighbors or anybody else. But I want I want you to give it the principle. This is why one reason is so fresh and so clear in my own mind, because I tried to go to sleep and something was bothering me, and I. I can't go to sleep if I'm going to sit here. And it's like a, a, a video that, that just, it just goes round. It just goes, you, you want to turn it off. And I said, God, I don't want to think this way. I don't want this to go on. I want to turn it off. And I know how to do it. Because what it is is mental attitude sin, mainly worry. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's revenge, bitterness, all the whole realm. I acknowledge those sins and I ask God, will you help me get rid of this and concentrate on you? You think he answered that prayer? Absolutely. He'll do it every time. Now, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, bam, you got a clear picture. You know, the old TVs, this is what happens to my watch every time I do that. Um, the old TVs, you were trying to get a clear picture and nothing would work and finally you went, wham, in a clear picture. <laughs> That's how we want to turn off the noise, isn't it? God, give me a little whack upside the head. Get, get rid of this. No, what happened was I started thinking about doctrine. I started to think about, hey, wait a minute. Why am I so upset about this? God's got my back. He's got... My happiness and contentment does not depend on anyone or anything except my relationship with God. And I started thinking that way. And let me tell you, I just started my, my whole, I just started relaxing. And I, before I knew it, I was content. And I was just about off to sleep. Wham! Yeah, but what about this? Maybe I better go check on this. <laughs> Is that right, I'm telling you? You know, you just about got it out, and then something something popped in my mind I hadn't thought about, and I want to go and run with that. And so I have to, okay, Lord, uh, you know, here I am trying to handle it again, worried about this, and I just go back to His Word, and it's His Word that always goes in and soothes and reminds me. It puts everything back into perspective. I don't know what your problem is today. I know you all got problems. I know that. But what I'm telling you is this rest will not get rid of your problem in the, the problem that you think you have. Have you all ever heard me say this before like a million times? 
the problem is never the problem. You know what I mean by that? Whatever problem it is that you're struggling with, that's not really the problem. The problem is you're not faith resting. You're not trusting the Lord. And now you got static and you got noise in your soul. And you grind your teeth. That's what this is talking about. How would you like to live the super abundant life where you're so up there in that rarefied air that you very seldom go back down and start grinding your teeth and thinking about, oh, this problem, what am I going to do? You can be happy with the problem. The problem is you're not trusting the Lord. I tell you what, I, I couldn't wait to get here this morning. It's not just talking about verses. It's talking about living. Living a life that God has chosen for you specifically. He wants to unleash those escrow blessings to you. But as long as you are giving Him the stiff arm, no, I've got this problem, and you seek counsel from your friends, now, counsel is good, but it depends on where you're getting it. You got marriage problems? Go to a counselor, pay them about $500 a, an hour, and they say, what you need is an affair. Y'all laugh. God rested on the seventh day because His works, His package for you is complete. But, verse 5 they, anyone like that Israelite generation that refused to cross the river and believe and trust God for that abundant life, they're not going to get it. Verse 6, since, there, since therefore it remains, it, underline it or circle it. What is, it what is this talking about? What is the it? If you don't get the it, you don't get it. You call it whatever you want to. Abundant life, super grace life. That place of rest in your soul. That's what the it is. Since therefore it. See, just because if I was God, now I know I say this too often, and you ought to be glad that I'm not. If I was God and they pulled the bonehead things that they did, I would say, all right, that's it. No more super grace for anybody. You ruined it. Now how do you feel? Aren't, aren't you ashamed? Now nobody else gets super grace because of you. That's how I would be. But God can't do that. Why? Because they're already there. It's not like he's got to cook them up. It's not like I'm going to wait until this person really starts getting serious about me and their relationship with me anymore, and I'm going to cook up some really great things. No, they're already there. They still exist. And that is good news. But now the subjunctive mood comes in. What are you going to do about it? So therefore, it remains. We ought to say, Hallelujah! If we were amen and hallelujah churches, we'd be, church, we'd be bouncing off the walls, right? We're so glad that it remains. You ought to be glad that you, you're getting it. You understand what he's talking about. No eternal salvation here. Not a syllable. This is all about, hey, grow up. 
Because it's a, remember when they say it's a matter of life or death? It actually is. And you make the choices. Since therefore it remains for some to enter. Look, some. Who's going to enter it? I'll tell you who's going to enter it. Anybody that wants to. How about that for a deal? Some are going to enter it. They're going to have that. And what does it take? A desire to. Do you want it? And do you believe it? Some will enter it. And those who formerly had good news, who the good news there again isn't the gospel. It's, hey, I've got a place for you. It's fantastic. No, no, we're afraid. And those who formerly had good news preached to them Fail to enter because of what? Now, in my translation, it says disobedience. Is that what it has in yours? Go ahead and mark it out. Whoop! Right through it. That Greek word there is apatheo. I-P-E-I-T-H-E-O. I'll spell that again. I-P-E-I-T-H-O. And in some cases remotely it can refer to disobedience, but the great majority of the time it is talking about an obstinate refusal to believe something. And so the translators, I think, dropped the ball there. They fumbled. It should be because they didn't believe. Listen, today you've got to make a choice. You've got to... You've got to decide, are you going to try to live the best life you can and have that abundant life and have everything that you want or as good as you can get it by scratching it out on your own? Or are you going to believe what the Bible is saying? Hey, I've got this wonderful place for you. It's called a place of rest, super grace, abundance, everything that you have. But you have to trust me for it. You have to quit conniving. You have to quit struggling and handling your own problems. You just have to trust me. And we call it faith rest. And when we do that, you absolutely have rest. And it's not in the great by and by. It's right now and it's between your ears. It's in your soul. And that's where the battle is. They didn't get it because they did not believe. Verse 7, he again fixes a certain day today. Look at that, underline, today. By the way, that's all the Bible promises us, day at a time. This is a day. And so there's a time affixed, which is today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as he has been, has been said before, who, what does David have to do with this? 400 years after Joshua, David came along and he wrote Psalm 95.7. In 95.7 he says, don't harden your heart because that's how you fail to enter the land, by hardening your heart, having negative volition. Nah, not in part to me. Let me get home and look at my stock portfolio. If you want to put your happiness in that, God says have at it. But you're not going to enter my rest. And when that stock plunges, don't come crying to me when you panic and hit the, uh, the panic button. So David said 400 years later, it was still available to David. And is it available today? What does this say? 
Today it's available. What is available? This abundant life, this super grace that God has a package for you with your name on it, specifically designed for just you. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Underline the if there. It's a third-class conditional clause. What that means is if, maybe, you will, and maybe you won't. In fact, all these things here that we're going to be looking at are in the subjunctive mood. It's only a potential. It's only a possibility because it depends on somebody before it's going to be activated. It depends on somebody not to deactivate it. Who is that person? Moi. Right? Me? You? That's why the subject... And he, this is a command. Don't do it. Don't harden your heart. Do we have any heart hardeners in here? Yeah, the preacher, I'm going right back here. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Oh, you have, a, you have a face. And a person could be sitting there and thinking, I'll be glad when he shuts up so I can go have my sweet taters or whatever else you're going to have. We don't know it, but God knows it. And he says, you harden your heart? Forget about ever living that life that you want to live. Get used to struggling with your problems, and they will eat you alive. That's the choice. And eventually... If you continue over the long haul saying, I'm not interested in your word. I don't care about this super grace. I don't care about this rest. God says, fine. Eventually, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Do you? The sin unto death. He will take you out. Well, what happened to the Israelites? What happened to them? Huh? He took them out, didn't he? When I say life or death, I just don't mean that symbolically. We can have that abundant life, or you can. There are people who are living, and you know their hearts beating. They're alive, but they're as dead as stone in their soul. I can't believe I looked at the clock. And, wow. My my, how time flies. And we got right up to verse eight, where it talks about Joshua. That's where I was going to make the connection. But I've already made it. Okay, the choice is yours. You know that the life is there. You know how to enter it. And don't think that you're going to make a one-shot decision today and say, God, I'm convicted. I understand what you're saying through your word, and I understand it, and I'm going, by golly, I'm going to start trusting you and quit trying to manipulate and uh, things and... I'm going to faith rest. That's good. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. But it might not last the day. We all are going to be challenged this very day. And that when it, that's when it comes in to where you're going to decide that you want to have that life by trusting Him or not. And you have to know something to trust, don't you? You have to have knowledge to know what to believe in. There goes the, the point where we have to continue to get that word. It feeds our souls. We, we're looking for the prize. We want that abundant life. That's the motivating factor, but it has to be fed every day. I'd like everyone to bow your heads, please. Someone may be here. It's an unbeliever. The good news for you is not about the abundant life right now. The good news for you is that simply by trusting in Christ, 
believing that He is the Son of God who went to the cross, died, was buried, and was resurrected. Now He's offering eternal life to you by simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the good news for you. The moment that you quit trusting in your own self, your own works, in order to be accepted by God, the moment you start trusting in Christ and His work and nothing else is the day that moment that you're born again. You have eternal life and you're bound for heaven. But what are you going to be when you get there? Father, we're so thankful for Your Word and Your warning and Your promise of this abundant life. We pray that this will sink very deep into our soul, that we'll meditate and recognize that we can have it if we want it. But we have to have it on Your terms by simple faith. That every time we fall short and we get into the gutter of worry and fret, foreboding, that we acknowledge those sins to You and bam, we're right back filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we can continue to trust in You and get that wonderful package with our name on it of a super grace released to us. We pray that You will help us meditate upon this, that You will strengthen our souls and turn off the noise. For we pray it in Christ's name.